All right, RVA, welcome back to uh, a feature of the league that we uh, we haven't done uh, in a while. Getting back to the podcast series that features the replays, we're featuring 2012 here in this podcast. And with me, as always, or as usually, is uh, the only person to ever lose a playoff series to SoCal. It's Jeff Hobbs. I knew you missed me. I I missed you? Yeah, you all missed me. <laughs> all I'm sure all of our one or two listeners missed you quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're back, and uh, we've run the replay on 2012, which was where we off, and we're ready to talk about it and break it down and, and provide insight that only Jeff Hobbs can provide. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Uh, featuring uh, insights such as, yeah, and I guess, which were some of his highlights from the, from the podcast series. Um, po- uh, Jeff's spreadsheet, which is arguably more valuable than he is to these, uh, to these podcasts, is ready to go. We have the replay results, and um, I guess we'll start it with, as we usually do, transitioning from the end of the 2011 season. Um, in 2011, that was uh, that was an Arizona championship. Uh, Arizona beat Silver City. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the RBA weekend that was. Um, but at that RBA weekend, Jeff, but uh, Arizona Greenbacks took out John Silver City Vultures. And uh, even though Silver City hung around a little bit, you decided that your team was not going to contend in 2012, and you made sure. Uh, yeah, I didn't have the keepers for it, and uh, I was not the only team. Uh, this was the first time in RBA history that we had three teams that knew they weren't going to contend uh, at the very, very beginning, I mean, even before the draft. So we had a lot of disparity this season. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and those three teams would be Pittsburgh, Arizona, and SoCal. And even though Pittsburgh ended up – uh, with the fourth worst record because of an underachieving and you might say badly managed Orlando team that finished with 29 wins. Um, so let's set the scene here. Uh, I guess we usually start, um, I guess we usually start, uh, with the draft and the RBA weekend. Um, and then you can talk about your pre-season rankings. I guess. Well, the- uh, yeah, let's. I guess we, I guess let's mention here that uh, we did have a new coach in Dave. You mentioned the Orlando season. Was this his first year? He only had one year. I'm pretty sure he was only in the. I'm pretty sure he was only in the league that one year. Okay. Okay. This was uh, quote unquote the Dave season, the season of Dave. Um, Dave Goody Coons took over Orlando from his brother Adam, uh, uh, and. Had been hankering for a team for a little over a year, maybe two years. Really wanted a team, and uh, it seemed natural when Adam bowed out that, that we gave the Orlando franchise to Dave. Um, the preparation didn't up uh, equaling the uh, anticipation for the Orlando <laughs> manager, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, we did have a new coach, so uh, Dave came in as Orlando, and... Uh, this is, as we may get to at the end, the last RBA season with 12 teams uh, due somewhat directly to the Orlando uh, experience. Um, but uh, I guess we can say that to set the scene. Um, Dave took over Orlando, and we had a new venue for RBA weekend. Uh, this was our first RBA weekend and kind of a one of one and a half that we had at uh, Jeff Florian's house in the suburban Washington, D.C. was a good venue, a ni- nice house, a uh, good location. We did have some good attendance. As I recall, uh, I was there, of course. Uh, Jeff, you were there. Uh, John was there. Yeah. No, wait. I just said you were there. You were not there. I was in Mexico City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Jeff was not there. Because uh, I kept, I was, I was trying to think, was this... You know, did we have both championship participants? And in fact, we did not because you weren't there, even though John was there. Um, Jeff was there. The Straczynskis were there. Um, Bob and Chris, uh, Chris Baker showed up for uh, Saturday. Um, trying to think. Oh, and the Tinglers showed up for Saturday. It was pretty well attended, especially on Saturday. 
Uh, good weekend. Um, you were there remotely from Mexico City. Uh, Chad was there remotely. Um, I don't believe... Oh, Dave was on Skype as well. Is that what we remember? He was, yeah. Okay. Uh, Baltimore was not there, not represented at all. Uh, I guess Cooper was on Skype also, wasn't he? I think so. Did he offer you any trades involving Steve Buscemi's face? Uh, no, that was a couple years earlier. Okay, no further trades in that. Place. No, no, but I have a feeling he'll keep making that offer. <laughs> he'll make it again someday. Uh, all right, so we had, that was the lineup. We had, uh, we had the RBA weekend, but, um, leading into that, uh, it did seem, uh, as we started trading that the teams are already posturing even before draft day. I have three trades on file before RBA Weekend in uh, RBA Weekend 2012. Uh, two of them involved you, Jeff. So your keeper's not up to par, but you were able to spin four of them into two seconds, a fourth, a seventh, and a ninth, loading up for 2013. Right, yeah, Montero, Pagan, I forget I forget who all I traded, but yeah. I made a Just trade with... Receivers, Bell and Perez. Yeah, I made a trade with Chad, and I made a trade with John. And yep. that was, I mean, I wasn't going to contend. Uh, Pittsburgh wasn't going to contend. SoCal wasn't going to contend. So it was very interesting. It was very interesting being a uh, non-contender at that draft because I was sort of competing against two other non-contenders to try to get players with some future value. Right. Uh, then there was another decided non-contender, one of the other two, SoCal made a blockbuster trade with Elm Grove. That's the third of the three trades. Um, that really, and I mean, you know, the second chapter of the story is set them up very well for 2013. Uh, SoCal, of course, has a maybe probably the best team in the league, definitely a very, very good team in 2013. Um, and as part of this trade with Elm Grove, they got Shinsu Chu, Justin Morneau, and the right to protect Josh Johnson, and a first and a third in 2013 really loaded up for the next year. And I guess Chad had a good team, good set of keepers before that, but that just that pushed him over the line as he got David DeJesus, Tim Hudson, Gio Gonzalez, and Adrian Gonzalez. Right. And I remember thinking about how much he got out of that. I remember talking to Chad. He, you know, he didn't think that he, quote-unquote, ripped Donnie off, but the, the consensus was was that Chad got a lot of value in that trade. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he built a good team for that season, um, for sure. So. And he didn't think a lot about the future prospects of the starting pitchers in that trade, Hudson and Gio Gonzalez, but Gio, of course, turned, proceeded to turn in a, almost a Cy Young season, or did, he almost won the Cy Young, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I remember reminding Chad, like, listen, not to be the RBA historian, but Tim Hudson's the, you know, the winningest pitcher in RBA history. He's very solid. Um, so, I think it was a good trade for both sides, though, as you see. SoCal did load up for the next season. Chu rebounded well. Morneau, you know, remains to be seen how that's going to turn out, but doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, so, you want, to, uh, you want to talk about the draft? Yeah. I, you know, I looked at the draft earlier today, preparing for this, and I wanted to ask you a question. Um, is it just in hindsight that it looks absolutely abhorrently terrible, or did we know at the time that this was a dreadful draft? Uh, no, I, we knew at the time. Chad called it a glut of nothingness. Something <laughs> like that. Remember that? Sort of. I didn't have a good memory of the of the sense before the draft. Yeah, I mean, this is a terrible. terrible, terrible draft. I don't, I think he was talking about, yes, he was talking about 2012 when he called it a glut of nothingness. I'm pretty sure. A glut of nothingness. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, these things look different in hindsight, but I mean, oh, I, I think about the crop of, of rookies we have this year, and, and this 2014 class is one of the better drafts we've ever had. I mean, it rivals 2002, maybe, but um, I mean, I just wonder, you know, where would any of these players go in the 2014? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the guys were hyped at the time, but not that many of them. You're right. I mean, even at the time, it looked pretty bad. Um, it kicked off with uh, Baltimore having the number one pick. They'd had that horrible team the year before. Yeah. And they took, I guess, the guy you would cons- have considered at the time to be the consensus number one. Uh, Eric, so. Eric Hosmer. Yeah. I don't think anybody argued with that. And, and you know, he's out of the, the RBA now due to the contraction, but 
he may yet come around. Uh, sure. I guess he was very hyped. He was, and then number two, Jeremy Hellickson. He was supposed to be good too. But yeah, definitely. And Pittsburgh got a very good player. Uh, in hindsight, again, got a, got a very good player at number three with Freddie Freeman. Yeah, that one was. I mean, I think a lot of people would have expected Hosmer to be better than Freeman going forward. So Pittsburgh did well with that one. I mean, it, it's arguable. I think Freeman may be the best player to come out of this draft. I think your only argument would be at number six. Surprisingly. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right, right. Well, uh, yeah, after Freeman, Fort Duquesne surprised everybody by taking Urban Santana. That was, yeah, that, that raised some eyebrows in the room. Yeah, that was a shocker. I remember Cooper, I think, when that pick was made, said, is it the fifth round already? <laughs> uh, and then at number five, Dunedin picked another hyped-up pitching prospect, Alexei Ogando. Yeah, uneven results out of that. That's true. Or as I call them, oh, God, no. Uh, Las Vegas then took – now, I remember at the time – so Las Vegas took the player you were just mentioning at number six, Craig Kimbrell. And at the time, I think even Cooper thought he had spent too high of a pick on Kimbrell because usually usually the top reliever in the draft will go kind of at the end of the first round, you know, number 10, number 12, something like that. True, that's when we expect it, yeah. And so he took Kimbrell at six, and uh, it has turned out to be, a, a, like you said, a better pick than pretty much all of the other first-round picks except for Freeman, I guess. And maybe yeah, you could make an argument. I mean, relief pitchers are never very valuable, but, geez, I mean, Kimbrell. He's got, yeah, he's pretty valuable. He's otherworldly, yeah. Now, unfortunately for Cooper, like Jose Bautista, he traded him to Chad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's flourishing for Chad. Uh, num- number seven, SoCal took Brandon McCarthy. Uh, but you can't go wrong with the Chief. Uh-huh. Uh, Orlando took Alexei Ramirez at eight. Yeah. State College took Corey Lubke at nine. Yeah. And then uh, another guy who was kind of hyped up for the future, Mike Moustakis, went to SoCal. SoCal had Ellen Gross pick at number ten. Yeah, you got the two the two royal hitters there, Hosmer and Mustakas, who you know haven't panned out. Mustakas worse than Hosmer. But. Yeah, it's, I'm surprised he hasn't been better. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Silver City at number eleven took Kyle Loesch. Uh, John yeah. everlasting search for pitching. Yeah, he's actually been good, I guess, for like three years in a row now. He finally came into his own, like a lot of pitchers at age thirty or whatever, thirty. Maybe older. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's almost like you can't predict which pitchers are going to become good. Yeah, I've never said that before. No. Uh, and then Baltimore closed out the first round by taking Brett Gardner. Yeah, it's just like every pick is just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, the second round is like, hey, maybe there's some talent here. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm looking at picks that are maybe were notable after the first round, and yeah, you're right, there's not much, I mean, Salta Lamacchia was another hyped-up player, uh, and he, I guess he had a pretty good year this year, right? Yeah, he's protected, he's been protected the past two yeah. seasons, for yeah. catcher, he's pretty good, I remember Josh saying, I think I overdrafted him there, but I was like, yeah. oh, you know, I mean, again, that one, Cooper thought he overdrafted Kimbrell, Josh thought he overdrafted Salta Lamacchia, but they might be the best two picks out of their respective rounds. And it's funny, you mentioned the poorly managed Orlando franchise, uh, I actually thought that uh, Dave did a really good job of drafting. His, his problem was he didn't do anything else. He didn't do anything after that. Yep. Now, he did He did use my research. Uh, I, I, I don't uh, remember if he did any work on his own or if he just used my research. But even still, I mean, it was his first draft. It turned out to be his only draft ever. And uh, even if you're using, like, veterans research or, or whatever, I feel like you're still not even going to necessarily know how to interpret it. I mean, it is your first yeah. draft ever. So he did a pretty good job. I mean, in the third round, in the third round, Dave got Joel Hanrahan. And I remember saying, and Chad, I remember also saying that, uh, that that was just a great pick. I mean, he was a closer quality, he was a closer quality reliever taken late in the third round. Yeah, well, backing up to his second, I remember that was a really good pick, too. Ryan Roberts, if yeah. I recall. That he was. He was really good. He, was he had a really good defensive rating and, like, at second base, maybe. Yeah, yeah he, was a, he, was a, he was a very, very good second baseman for that year. And, and uh, yeah, yeah and he, he didn't play him. him. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was fun. You're saying he drafted well, but he didn't know how to put it together. Yeah. I mean, you don't know how many plate appearances Ryan Roberts got in the RBA? 
Oh, this is not going to be good. 52. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, 52. Yeah. Yep. Just didn't manage the team very well. Um, I mean, that, that seems like a understatement, but, I mean, he just didn't manage it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I mean, uh, any other picks stand out to you? I don't know. Uh, Hanrahan was a good one to point out. Uh, Chad got Papelbon at the end of the third round. That seems that just seems to work out well. Oh, look, there's Koji Uehara in the fourth round of State College. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's probably going to go slightly above the ninth pick in the fourth round in the 2014 draft. <laughs> yeah, I remember actually getting uh, compliments and, and being fairly proud of myself of my fifth round pick, which, uh, oops, that was Grady Sizemore. <laughs> he, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first pick in the draft, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I didn't have a pick until the fifth round. He's Um, still your property. Yeah, he's still technically my property. We'll see if he ever comes back. But anyway, um, so you took a a flyer on – I remember, was this the season you said you had the highest – you had the riskiest outfield of all time? (laughs) Yeah, in like the – in some late, like the 11th round, uh, 10th, the last pick of the 10th round, and in the 11th round, I took <laughs> Maglio Ordonez and J.D. Drew. Yeah. <laughs> hoping, just betting on the, you know, 10% chance <laughs> that they would come back and have one more good year. And, and of course, and neither did, but they, <laughs> I was betting on it. You with Sizemore, J.D. Drew, and Maglio Ordonez, and you're like, oh, I just want one of them to qualify. And you know who qualified, who, who you kept? Your fourth outfield. Who was that? Austin Jackson. Wasn't oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Austin Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Who was who was actually my ninth round pick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I took Jackson. I took like four outfielders in a row. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, so any uh, any post-draft uh, trades or anything you want to talk about, or should I give some spreadsheet scores? Uh, don't. Uh, let me see. Um, oh, well, at the draft, I guess we should mention this. We had a couple of interesting trades. Um, Pittsburgh got Jason Hayward for Tim Lincecum, which is intriguing. Uh, both of them have disappointing seasons, kind of fits and starts since then. I, I don't, I'm not sure we can say who won that one, for sure. Uh, right. I remember Cooper was trying to trade your first-round pick for probably, I don't know, probably the world and, and everything in it. But he had to get Melky Cabrera from Baltimore. I, do you remember who he was trying to get with that? Was that the Ryan Howard discussion, or was that uh, this year? That I don't remember. I remember I was Skyping into that draft, so I wasn't there for a lot of the external discussion. I remember it was so Cooper ended up trading a first rounder for Melky Cabrera, and I think he was. I think there were other people he was trying to get. Yeah. Uh, okay. Bob and Chris traded for Mariano Rivera from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh got Pedro Alvarez in that trade, so that's that's probably going to turn out well. I figure for both teams are probably happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the, the only notable trades, I would say. Okay, well, uh, well, let me mention my, uh, yeah, I guess let me give you my spreadsheet scores after the draft then. Now, yep. this was interesting because we, we had a podcast. We had a three-way podcast with uh, Chad mm-hmm. uh, just a few games into the season where we did over-under uh, predictions. Oh. Yeah, you probably remember that. Um, but anyway, I'll go ahead and give these scores again. Did you uh, note what we predicted? What's that? Did you note our over-under predictions? Uh, no, I did not. I, sh- I, I did not. Um, not. Not for today's podcast. But anyway, uh, so here are the scores. 80 is average, 130 is, gra- is great, and 30 is terrible. Something like that. Okay. okay, so Elm Grove was tops in the uh, Larkin division. With a 130, so they were they were great. Uh, now that was after the draft. That was after the dra- right after the draft, right okay. before the regular season started. Some, yeah, okay. uh, Las Vegas was a 129. Yeah, so they were they were identical. I mean, they were both great teams. Uh, yeah, and and just completely loaded uh, even before round one began. And then after that, there was a bit of a drop off, but Dunedin had a good team. Dunedin was a 106. Okay. And then uh, Baltimore was an 88. It looks to me like the Larkin is a pretty strong division this year. Of the three terrible teams, two were in the other division. So yep. the Larkin benefited from that as well. They had a, you know, uh, anyway. Um, so Baltimore was an 88. Atlanta was a 73. Even they weren't bad. No. And then there was me. Well, you were bad. <laughs> I was bad. I was a 15. 
Ooh. Yeah, I was clearly in terrible range, but as we will see, I was not actually—I was actually not the worst team in the league. Yeah. Uh, over in the pocket. Uh, at the beginning of the season, let me check here and make sure. Okay, the, the best team in the pocket was Fort Duquesne as a 125, so great or borderline great. Mm-hmm. Um, at a 105 was State College. Okay. So that's kind of in the very good, but definitely not great range. Uh, oh, very good, though, yeah. Okay. Very good, very good. Yeah, 105 is, is strong. Uh, and then a 93, Silver City. They were tough. Yeah. They made uh, it to get Montero and Pagan from you. That definitely helped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with a 79, so basically the definition of average was Orlando. Mm-hmm, okay. And then there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> then what you have is uh, with an 11... You have, oh. Pitts, you have Pittsburgh actually finished below, albeit barely, uh, El, um, Arizona. And then with a, uh, let me see here, with an eight. Eight, okay. SoCal. Now, I want to mention SoCal for just a second because the spreadsheet scores that I have, I might, I might change this in the future, but the spreadsheet scores that I have are basically a weighted average of, of you know, pitching, well, starting pitching, relief pitching, and lineup. Right, it, it, my spreadsheet scores are not based on like uh, they're not based on the Pythagorean the idea of the Pythagorean theorem where a you know a, a great team is helped by having rel- a great team is helped by having better defense and a terrible team is hurt more by having a terrible offense. Right. SoCal had the worst offense I've ever seen. It was terrible. I mean, it, it, it was amazing how bad that offense was. And and turned it around into the best offense one year later. I still yeah. need to that out. They, I mean, against right-handed pitching. Yeah, that's what I wanted you to bring up because this is. I was going to say the simulation that I did did not take into account the split between left and right-handed pitching. So so enlighten our listeners as to the split there. Okay. Well, they didn't. Ha- well, okay. <laughs> they were terrible. They were equally terrible against both sides. Oh, were they? Yeah. Huh? Against righties, they didn't have a single what I would call a single good player. They had some decent, they had, um, yeah, Trumbo got to play a little bit against righties. Uh, gee, I mean, I'm really stretching here. Pennington. (laughs) Chu was probably their best. He was probably their most valuable hitter against righties. And even he wasn't particularly good. He was just okay. Uh, against lefties, they had Soto. He, he, they had one lefty masher and no righty mashers in that entire lineup. Right. So, they were horrible, absolutely horrible offense. And I think, I actually think that this is probably the worst team in RBA history, the 2012 SoCal Templar Knights. Really? I think it probably was, yeah. Well, they won 26 games, which is comfortably above uh, Orlando's record. Uh, yeah. But the offense was, was truly dreadful. I mean, they scored 208 runs. Oh, my God. Which is unfathomable. Now, they didn't give up all that many runs. I don't know if they overachieved in that way. but It is almost impossible for a baseball team to average two and a half runs per game. It's it's tr- it's incredible. 208 runs scored. <laughs> they had a 6.05 OPS, and they stole nine bases all year. Yeah. They had 56 home runs. Nobody on their team had double-digit home runs. You were second worst in runs with 265. <laughs> yeah, <I> was, <laughs> and third had 281. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's the thing, and that, that's why I that's why I say that I if you put a gun to my head and, and ask me like who 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 is the absolute worst team in RBA history, I, I would actually I would say the 2012 SoCal Templar Knights, even worse than the 03 effect or the uh, you know. John's team from last year, or that, or the team Adam had in 08, I guess it was with yeah. Jerry Owens. And <laughs> I, I think Jerry this team was. I think I think this team was probably worse than those. Well, one thing we should mention as I'm looking at these offensive numbers is just an overall picture. I guess partly because of the draft or, or the league environment and the and the majors, there was a combination of factors that that made this the lowest scoring season in RBA history by quite a measure. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, the injury factor was part of it. Yeah. Although we rebounded pretty well in 2013, I -hmm. I don't think the majors rebounded all that much. No, no, actually the majors, I don't think, rebounded at all, really. I think it was about the same. Yeah, so it was something about the league environment. 
Or maybe SoCal just did it all by themselves. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The league OPS in 2013, the season we just completed, was 728. Uh-huh, yeah. The one, the, the 2012 league OPS was 686. Wow, that is quite a difference. 686 is a really, really low league OPS. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So it was something um, about some combination of factors made this the year of the pitcher in the RBA. Yeah. Uh, um, and so nobody was really scoring, but SoCal kind of carries the flag for that. It's easier to manage pitchers than hitters, maybe. And so you had, like, for example, like you said, Dave not playing Ryan uh, Roberts. Yeah. Uh, maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. It may yeah, be. And, and maybe we all got better at managing this past season. Yeah, it might, might have been that. might have been the, that the injury factor was new. This was only its, what, second season or something? Uh, yeah. I'm, anyway, and, and also you had Dave, you had not only Dave, but you had three teams that weren't even trying to contend. So that we might not have exactly been maximizing what we did have, you know? True. So, anyway, as the season took shape, I remember thinking, I remember hoping that Orlando would contend because I thought Dave had actually done a good, he did do a good job of drafting, especially given that it was his first draft. Right. And, um, but Orlando got off to a bad start. The, you know, the, the teams that were supposed to be terrible were predictably terrible. Um, and I guess if you want to talk about any developments during the season in terms of teams selling off, beefing up before the deadline, anything like that? Yeah, well, um, as I recall the season, uh, and I'm trying to remember, um, I'm trying to recall, this was, Chad made a mad burst at the trading deadline, didn't he? Am I trying? Let, let yeah. See. Oh, yeah. yeah. But now that you know, I'm getting old and they're running together. So did, so did Fort Duquesne. Is that right? Let me look at. I'm going to take a picture at the All-Star break. Well, you were awful. Las Vegas uh, was middling. Um, that yeah. was supposed to be really good, and they were just average. Yeah, that's happened to them a couple years in a row now. It has. It definitely has. They had a really good team that underachieved. What you can actually was 26 and 16 at the All Star break, so pretty probably about what you think. Yeah, that sounds about right. 12 30 All Star break. That's probably not good. Uh, <laughs> Silver City was doing well, uh, about what you'd predict. And yet Elm Grove was Elm Grove and Vegas were both underachieving. That's right. That's right. That I was that now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess the the picture ended up uh, that Dunedin was was doing well, State College was doing well, uh, and Fort Duquesne was doing well. Uh, and then it was you know kind of Silver City and Baltimore were actually looking like they had a better grasp on the playoffs than Vegas or Elm Grove. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. To Chad's credit, he kind of believed in his team, I think. It, it was funny. Oh, you know, I'm starting to remember now. Um, I'm looking at the records at the trading deadline. Vegas was 29 and 25 at the trading deadline. Elm Grove was 28 and 26. Yes. They were both a little bit above 500. Uh, Silver City had 31 wins and Baltimore had 29. So they had to chase down Silver City. Uh, even if you conceded three playoff spots to Fort Duquesne uh, State College in Dunedin, which they did end up securing. And what was funny was Cooper was a game ahead of Chad. Cooper sold and Chad fought. Yeah, that's right. So Chad, both of their teams were underachieving, and you read off the scores. They were both very, very good teams. I remember now being quite surprised at that outcome that Cooper sold and Chad bought. Yeah. yeah and I I mean Chad I mean it's not surprising that Chad bought because no, no. style. But, but then he bought off Cooper. That, that, that's that was the surprise to me. Well the I first mean, thing the first thing that happened was Chad bought off Dave. Oh okay. He got uh he got Carpenter Day for Jeter and then he got Garrett Jones and, and Chris Ionetta. So he loaded you know, up off Dave. I'm remembering this a little bit better now. Yeah, I think so. I think what happened was in lieu of Chad, or well, in uh, anyway, in response to uh, Chad uh, buying off of Dave, I think Cooper then. I think I remember Cooper saying that he had looked at his team after Chad did that and no longer thought he had a chance. Now I still disagree. I mean, Cooper had a game on Chad and he still had you know almost as good of a team. Yeah. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you give up at that point. But he did. He sold to Chad. Yeah, that's, that's, well, yeah, he basically gave up um, once Chad loaded up. And I remember you facilitating those trades for Dave, which was part of the problem. 
Um, oh, okay. You were kind of helping Dave along. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, I remember. Yeah, I guess I do remember saying something like, "Well, if you're going to sell off, you should." You know, he was new to the league, and I kind of wanted to help him as much as I could. But you know, yeah. and just in terms of giving advice on how to how to sell off and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I remember. I remember Cooper saying to me, and it's coming into greater focus now. I remember having discussed Cooper around that deadline, and he was saying, and he did have a point. There's no more sellers left. I mean, basically, yeah, yeah. basically, Chad looted Orlando's team, and the three teams at the bottom were so terrible that there was nothing to sell. There was nothing on Arizona, SoCal, or uh, Pittsburgh to sell. And then you got you had Baltimore and Silver City who were you know still in playoff position. The other three were going to make it. There was just nobody left in the league to trade with. Yeah. Um, SoCal had one starting pitcher, Matt Watos, um, and it was basically coming down to that was all that was left on the trade market, and John got it. John traded for mm-hmm. Watos. He gave up a first and a fifth. So I think Cooper looked, and he saw, well, three teams are in playoff position. Chad and John are both upgrade themselves, and, and he didn't see any other way to improve. So yeah. he went the other way. And one of the biggest sell-offs we have ever had is this serious, mad rush of sell-off players. And I remember talking to Cooper. uh, This was right when I moved to North Carolina this May of 2012. I remember talking to him here uh, out in uh, where where I was staying that summer. And uh, I remember distinctly having the conversation. I was like, but Cooper, your team is so good. You can't give up on this. Especially not with wild card spots out there. I know. And he yeah. said, no, I can't do it. I'm going to pack it in and trade it off. And boy, did he. He made, yeah. he traded away Dan Heron, Antonio Bastardo, Daniel Murphy, uh, Chris Heise, Joe Smith, Carlos Quentin, Sergio Robo, Eric Ibar, <laughs> Scott Baker, Javier Vasquez, and Craig Kimbrell, and John Mayberry, and Micah Beals, and Sean, you guys, and Randy. He trained with all those people in a week. Well, let me give you the let me give you the scores at the deadline then uh, after the deadline has passed. Amazing. That, it is incredible, and you'll and you'll see the reflection in Cooper's score. Uh, remember, he was a one twenty nine at the start. So yeah. Yeah. so after the deadline, um, Chad had gone from a one thirty up to a one forty seven. Yeah, I mean he got he was the recipient of those players from. Uh, uh, from Dave, and then he also got a couple of the Cooper trades. He got he upgraded. We got Kembrel and a couple of starters. But yeah, we uh, we did a podcast of the you you remember with Chad. We did another podcast with Chad where I ranked, sort of era adjusted and everything. I ranked the twenty best teams of all time, and this oh. team this team was like it was somewhere right around number four of all time. Yeah, I do remember. This was this was. Probably the best team Chad has ever had, or at least, well, it was kind of on par with his O2 team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, okay, so they were a 147. Uh, the next best team in the division after the uh, trading deadline was Dunedin at 109. I guess they stayed the same, roughly. Uh, I don't think they made any trades. Yeah, remember that your score can change even if you don't do anything now, but uh, because of the, well, anyway. Uh, the third best team, uh, 76, was Atlanta. And, oh, I'm, I forgot Baltimore. They were a 91. They're third. Uh, Baltimore third, Atlanta fourth at a 76. And then Las Vegas was a 68. They fell from a 129 to a 68. Wow. Yeah, That's really difficult to do. They just about cut their score in half by trading all of those players away. And then I, I went up from a 15 to a 16 by doing nothing, <laughs> uh, which, which made all the difference in the world. Um, That's what we'll do. Yeah, for sure. I think we should spend the rest of the podcast on on my team from that year. Uh, over in the pocket, the podcast talking about how I realigned the league after expansion and over. Yeah, that was great. Uh, in the Clemente, Fort Duquesne, also a one forty seven. Jeez, wow. Yeah, also a one forty seven. They got the first big trade from Cooper. Um, yes, and then uh, after that, I'm not sure many other teams did much. Silver City uh, beat themselves up a little bit, like you said, with uh, they Lottos. They were a 111. Actually, State College was a 112, so basically a, a tie there for second best in the division, although well behind Fort Duquesne. Yeah. Uh, but both very good teams, 111, 112, are solid, very solid scores. Uh, and then 
it looks like uh, Orlando sold off, so they, they dropped from a 79 to a 65. Yep. And by the end of the whole thing, uh, that leaves uh, per, uh, Pittsburgh with a 13 and SoCal a 3. Oh, because they sold off Lottos. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they were a three. Uh, that team that that team that Cooper had, I think it was, or maybe it was no Adams team. Adams team in two thousand eight was a two. Yeah, yeah. Um, now there might be some adjustments you want to make for you know different eras of the league or whatever. But anyway, Adams raw Adams score was a two in two thousand eight, and this SoCal team was a three. So. Yeah, and those through twelve seasons, those were the closest we'd ever had to a negative score. Um, I think yep. in 2013 we uh, we got there. We got there. We 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 climbed the mountain. We're um, <laughs> <or> something. We're <laughs> something. So you want to talk about the uh, the playoffs or maybe the race at the very end? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess we'll do the replay results at the very oh, end. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's do the replay results before we do the playoffs. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have the replay results here, and what's funny is is that you know a couple teams sold off here and there, uh, but. Everything matches up pretty well, except for one team. There was one team that it was a replay outlier. Okay. Yeah, and you'll, you'll have to go ahead and give these because I don't have them. I have some of your results, but not all of them. Okay. Well, uh, I just have the average wins, and then I have them in a table here with the actual wins. And the number of playoff appearances, you have that? I did not. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, the number one team was Fort Duquesne. They won 51.5 games in the replay. They uh, made the playoffs. Oh, you know what? I do have all the results. You ran, ah, uh, yes, I know what it is now. You ran 11 replays, not 14. I did because I ran 162 game play. I had, I had three blank spots in there. and That's right. Okay, we should mention this. We This was the first time that we ever ran 162 game uh, replays. We had done because the injury factor worked yeah. out. Before, we could never make it work, <laughs> because we didn't yeah. three yeah, the so same way. These results should be a bit more accurate. One thing, one, one difference you'll notice is, I mean, I think, well, you're, you're going to have less, uh, it's going to be more predictable which teams make the playoffs. The better teams are going to make the playoffs, the higher percentage of the time, just because we're playing seasons that are twice as long. So, uh, so Fort Duquesne made the, made the, I actually have the playoff appearances down here. Fort Duquesne made it every single time, 11 for 11. Wow. Well, good. You can chip in with that. And one quick thing. Um, I did – I don't think I did this on the other replays. I set the lineups and rotations for these teams before I ran the replays. So these are actually accurate to what they were doing in the RBA. Yeah. So it should be a little bit more accurate for a few reasons. Okay. Uh, well, let's, you want to go through the divisions? I think that's usually how we did it. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll start with the pocket since I started with Fort Duquesne. Okay. Uh, Second place in the pocket was State College, who did end up making the playoffs as the second place team in the pocket with 45.8. I'm going to toot my own horn for just a second here. You'll like this. No, no actually, actually, those those. I think uh, that's all the time we have. <laughs> those win totals that we got: 51 and a half for Fort Duquesne, 45 and 45.8 for State College. Yep. Are are they are those totals are right on what my spreadsheet predicted actually. Um, <laughs> By the way, State College made the playoffs in seven of those 11 replays. Okay. Fort Duquesne won 53 games in the actual season in 49, and State College won 49. So they're pretty accurate. To, to yeah, accurate. not too far off, yeah. Uh, third place was Silver City, 42.7 wins uh, versus their 44 in the RBA season. They made two and a half times the playoffs. Okay. Uh, fourth place was in the replay was Orlando. Uh, this was the outlier. They actually averaged 39.9 wins, even after the trades to Pancake. They really weren't that bad after those trades. I mean, they, they still were a 68 or something like that. I mean, so that doesn't surprise me, me very much. It's maybe a win higher than I would have guessed. They actually made the playoffs once. Yeah, I guess based on your spreadsheet it makes sense, but they won 29 games in the RBA season. Yeah, they really underachieved that RBA season. A little bit of bad luck, a little bit of... Bad managing, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Pittsburgh came in fifth with 33.4, which is probably a little more than you would think. That, that is definitely more. That, that's the surprising one to me. And they won 31 games in the RBA. Zero. So they kind of overachieved in the RBA versus your spreadsheet also. Yeah, zero playoff appearances for them and for this next team, of course. Well, that would be the SoCal Templar, <laughs> who, uh, who won 27.2 on average. And actually, that surprises me, too, because I, 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 I think they were worse than that. <laughs> yeah, they won 26 games in the RBA. 
Um, you said the two best teams were Fort Duquesne and Elm Grove, and that's how it came out in the replay. The number two team overall, number one in the Larkin, was Elm Grove with 49.6 wins on that. And they missed the playoffs once. They they went 10 of 11, but there was that one miss. They missed the playoffs. Well, they went 49.6 in the replay. They won 50 games in the RBA, so that's a, that's a rounding difference there. Uh, the number two team in the Larkin and the team that uh, actually won the Larkin division in the RBA season was the Need and Clear Blues. They won 47.5 in the replay. Uh, yes, and while you are getting a towel for yourself, uh, I will mention that they made the playoffs nine and a half times out of 11, so just about every time. But 11 out of 11 in my heart. Oh, boy. So seriously, wasn't this the perfect season? You were terrible and Denise won? <laughs> Yeah, I, I just keep going. Number three was ba- the Baltimore Brood with 41.9 wins versus 43 in the RBA. And two playoff appearances for them. Oh, wow. Okay. Number four was Atlanta, close behind Baltimore. They actually averaged 40.0 in the replay, and they won 40 in the RBA. <laughs> Zero playoff appearances, though. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, number five in the replay ended up being Vegas after that huge sell-off. They finished with 37.6 wins. And uh, what's funny is they made the playoffs once with that team <laughs> that they had at the end. They won 41 games in the RBA, even after the disappointing start and then the sell-off, to keep their streak alive of over 500 teams. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And then finally... The Greenbacks, 28.8 wins versus 28 in the RBA. Zero playoff appearances. Uh, yeah, some bad years there. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, from the 11 replays for sure. So anyway, yeah, that, that, those were the replay results. That's them, and I guess we'll talk about the end of the season. I kind of foreshadowed this, but, uh, you know, Chad bought at the trading deadline and uh, Cooper sold. And Chad had two teams to pass. He had to pass Silver City and Baltimore to get to a playoff spot. And uh, that team closed like no other. T- I mean, it was it was quite a closing um, run that Chad put out. Uh, I think I said that he was, I think he was 28 and 26 at the deadline when he made those trades. Well, he finished 50 and 31. So that puts him after the deadline in 27 games, finishing 22 and 5. <laughs> Wow. It was, that team just could not lose down the stretch. They hit the accelerator and blew past Silver City and Baltimore. They finished six games ahead of Silver City and seven games ahead of Baltimore. Basically, at the train deadline, it was looking like it was going to be a heck of a playoff race. And by the time we were ten games out, it was over. Yeah. Chad just put them away. Uh, we had we had four teams that made the playoffs, and there was really, uh, you know, the margin between State College, the number four seed, and Silver City, the five, was five games. Yeah, it was the four teams and then everybody else, and uh, and I guess we should talk about the playoffs, right? For um, Fort Duquesne ended up playing State College. They did. Uh, so that was they were the one and four seeds, I guess. That's right. They were the number one in four seeds. Duquesne, 53 wins. State College, 49. But as you said, Ford Duquesne was the better team, clearly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that series, actually, it was a five-game series, but uh, game one went to 11 innings when yeah. Ford walked off with a homer by Ben Zobers. Um, Ford Duquesne won game two in a relatively just calm game. And then State College won game three in 12 innings on a walk-off homer by Prince Fielder. Then State, uh, State College, you know, they, they got a win. They were down 2-1 to one in the series. And they took a 5 nothing lead in game four after the second inning. They were all over Vogelsong and just crapped the bet. <laughs> yes, just sure. crapped it away. I'm they gave up five runs in the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, tied it, and then Ford Duquesne scored Four in the top of the tenth to win nine to five. And Karstens, uh, Karstens just blew up. Is that what? Yeah, that was in the top of the tenth. You were you were on for that, weren't you? You were on Skype. For that. I believe so. Yeah. Jeff Florian was not pleased. <laughs> no. That happened, and then Florian basically, did, yeah, he was out. Uh, of course, there's one game five four to one, and kind of a you know it was four nothing at one point. And yeah. It's funny. I mean, poor uh, Duquesne. Clearly had the better team. I mean, by my spreadsheet scores, by like 35 points or something. But uh, that's not taking anything away from this uh, Cows team. I mean, 
I had beaten the cows. I had swept the cows the, the year before. Yep. And that that season, the cows were really average. I mean, they they, they were uh, they were a league average team. They'd gotten really lucky to get into the playoffs. This this cows team deserved to make the playoffs. Certainly deserved to be in the running for it. And uh, it was a really a uh, in a normal season, a team with a score of 111, 112, whatever they were, is a is a contender. You know, they they could. If they win the whole thing, it's not a it's not a tragic you know it's not a disgrace at all. But they happen to be going up against the number three, number four, whatever best team in RBA history. Certainly a top ten team yeah. of all time, and so they they really got beaten down. But the game, the individual games were not that lopsided. I mean, no, was, no, three yeah. of the five went to extra innings. It was just one of those things. Yeah. And then can we talk about Dunedin though? Go for it. <laughs> well, Dunedin went into uh, they now given that Ford Duquesne won that series, they had quite a road to hoe to get to a championship. They had to beat Elm Grove and then Fort Duquesne, uh, <laughs> yeah. two of the five best teams in RBA history. Uh, they started out against Elm Grove, losing Game One to Felix Hernandez, um, but then uh, they won Game Two behind Jared Weaver. I don't remember why they held him for game two. There was a reason. He was their ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they did not want to match up against Felix. I don't remember what the rationale was for that. Uh, they pitched him in game two, and he got the win. It doesn't matter too much. And then they got a big start from Jurgens in game three to win two to one, and they took a 2-1 lead in the series. And then they won game four behind Really, I mean, it was a really, and I know you're going to roll your eyes, but it was a really well-managed series in playoffs because I'm looking at game four. He pitched Lester for three innings, yeah, ten batters, and then matched up against a lineup that was probably set up for a lefty. Um, and I, I, I seem to remember Josh really managing well. He had a little bit of experience. Well, of course you do, but you're right. <laughs> Yeah, and even if he didn't manage well. Uh, and then and then in game five, it was just, this was also a five-game series. Just a, just they it was just over. They they scored four off Felix. They tacked on the blowout, eight to nothing. And that, that really, really good element just got slacked by team. You know, it's funny. I, uh, uh, I, I consider those two series to be about equal mismatches. You know, I had to need them at a score of whatever, like, let's just say 110, I forget. But anyway, and and uh, uh, Elm, uh, Fort Duquesne also at a 147. So, again, I thought it was a pretty heavy mismatch, maybe maybe yeah. uh, maybe three to one odds or two to one odds at, at least in favor of Fort Duquesne. But Elm Grove actually, yeah, beat him and didn't only beat him, but beat him in five. So yeah. it was a pretty impressive beat him eight to nothing in the last game. Yeah, it was decisive. It definitely was. Um, so that set it up with Dunedin against Fort Duquesne, with the Corsairs being the favorites. Um, of course, Dunedin had already beaten. They, they matched up once in the first round in 2009, and Dunedin beat them en route to losing the championship to Cooper. Uh, this was Dunedin's third go at the playoffs, second chance at the championship, and they faced this, this towering Fort Duquesne team. And they won game one, 6-2 on a comeback. Weaver again pitched well. They actually beat Kershaw, getting to him late, and then Gary, your best friend, yeah, him up there. Yeah, they pounded both of those guys. Actually, I was going to say, of course, Dunedin is much better than Baltimore in 2010, but that, that first-round series kind of reminded me of what Baltimore did to you in 2010. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Dunedin won game two. They won that 4-1 to one behind Ogondo. Uh, and they, uh, they, they beaten Kershaw and Verlander, and I mean, it looked really good for Dunedin. I mean, you get those two, you win those two games against the two twin towers of Fort Duquesne. Yeah. And the Corsairs had something to say. Uh, game three, Dunedin took a three to two lead to the ninth inning, and Fort Duquesne ended up getting back to back, I remember this, back to back homers by Napoli and Ramirez. I mean, Fort Duquesne was, they were on the verge of being down three games to none. Down one in the top of the ninth. They got back-to-back homers. I mean, I remember Bob was out of the room. They were, they were on the verge of just giving up. Yep. Back-to-back homers. They win that one four to three. Then they go into game four. This was such a back-and-forth series. They charge out with four runs early to take a four-nothing lead. They got to Lester. But then Josh just kept putting different pitchers in. Oh, God, yeah, he used eight pitchers in that game. Yeah, just after Lester got bombed, he put 
just matched it up, kept it going, and ended up scraping together five runs to, to win the game five. Took a 3-1 lead. And now all he needed was one win. However, he had Kershaw and Verlander ahead of him again. So he was up 3-1, to one, needed one win out of games five, six, and seven. Game five, Kershaw, seven innings, two hits, no runs. <laughs> yeah, just so, yep. And then game six, Verlander, eight and a third, six hits, two runs, and Fort became won both of those games, five to one and six to two. And so it was up to game seven. Dunedin was about to let it slip away. That All they had to do was, was so Heron was in there, who's actually pretty good. But Jurgen stepped up again, gave him four and two-thirds scoreless. Dunedin got a four-nothing lead and held on six to three to win their first black ever. Yeah, and Fort Duquesne used eight pitchers in that game. And Yes, this was, um, you've talked about the RBA kind of always being on a redemption tour or whatever, and this was uh, <laughs> for a long time, yeah. And you were obviously happier than anybody. I'm pretty sure you were even happier than Josh about <laughs> Josh winning a championship, so... And I think we all kind of were. It was really great. You know, to have one of those expansion teams from 07, one of the Penguins win it, and and especially Dunedin, who who had the better team in 09. I know you agree with me on that. Better than Cooper. I think they were pretty evenly matched. Really? Oh. In 09, yeah. I, I thought so. had a good shot at it, from what yeah. I Yeah. yeah. Um, had a good team in 09, went to the playoffs, um, was it 2010 or 2011? They went to the playoffs one of those two years and lost to Chad in the first round. So yeah. it was his third shot. It, it, You know, it kind of, the RBA has done that for a long time. You know, you, you have a couple of heartbreaks, and it, it gives you some redemption. It did that to you, certainly. So I was very happy. I was very happy for Josh. But now, you know, Fort Duquesne's kind of too. Now they've had yeah. some breaks. And if the redemption tour continues, 2013 will be Fort Duquesne's year. Yeah, they, they they do need one for sure, and they have a great team. So I guess we'll see what happens, but and we'll see what happens in just two weeks. Yeah, a little over two. Yeah, yeah, well, it's right. Yeah, two weeks, two weeks away until the weekend starts. I, I, I guess to, free, to kind of provide the next bridge, I'll just say quickly, I remember saying at the end of this or going into this championship, I was saying, you know, I'm kind of rooting for Dunedin. Both of them deserve a championship, but Fort Duquesne will be back, and Dunedin will not. <laughs> yeah, and Fort Duquesne is definitely back in 2013, uh, so they uh, they've got a shot to get their first play. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it here. Um, yeah, and then we'll we'll probably probably do the 2013 podcast in the next couple of months. Uh, see what we can do. We'll see if we can't make it a shorter turnaround this time. Maybe we could do the over under podcast again. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. That's never really a problem for me. It usually takes me about. So, I don't know, five, six hours of work to put that spreadsheet together, but it's always fun. So, I mean, I usually have it, uh, I usually have it done within a couple of weeks of the draft. You have fun putting a spreadsheet together? Yeah, I know, hard to believe. Yeah, I know. We're breaking news here on the RBA podcast. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, we'll close it there. Looking forward to the RBA weekend in, in two weeks. And, uh, yeah. All right. Well, for, uh, for Jeff Hobbs, you want to tell the people bye? Bye, everyone. All right, we'll see you next time. <laughs>